0: Hi everyone. Welcome to the APM podcast. Thanks a lot for listening in. This episode, our topic is The Golden Thread, a seminal research report commissioned by APM and undertaken by PwC that was published last year, and it's two follow-up reports published earlier this year. The first was on fast growth sectors for project management, which includes health, pharma and life sciences, and SMEs and charities. The second report was a regional deep dive looking at the Northern Powerhouse, the Heathrow Corridor and Cambridge's Silicon Fen, among others. The original Golden Thread research was commissioned to put the spotlight onto a profession that's been hidden and undervalued within UK PLC for too long, and to prove that the size of the project profession in the UK is significant and growing. APM's Chief Executive Debbie Dole herself has called project management a Cinderella profession. The Golden Thread Report hopes to change this. It has become not only a benchmark for the worth of project management to the UK economy, but a jumping-off point for debate on its contribution to the economy and society beyond the profession especially. Why, you may be asking yourself, is the report called the Golden Thread? Well, project management is the golden thread helping to drive quality, efficiency and the effectiveness of strategic change in all sectors and organisations. It's moving away from its roots in construction and engineering. The pandemic has only served to show how critical project managers are in keeping the economy and society going during a crisis and high uncertainty. The questions we will be considering today are first, what's the big picture take on project management in the UK? Second, is a profession given the serious recognition it deserves? And third, what does the future hold for project management in the wake of the pandemic? My name is Emma Devita. I'm the editor of APM's quarterly journal, Project, and I'm delighted to be your host today. This podcast is brought to you by APM, the Chartered Body for the Project Profession. But the three stars of today's podcast are David Thompson, Head of External Affairs at APM, Andrew Edkins, Professor of the Management of Complex Projects and former Director of the Bartlett Real Estate Institute at UCL, who was on the Golden Thread Academic Advisory Panel, and Tony Mulderhill, who is a consultant, coach, trainer, and educator for project managers in the SME world, and who was interviewed for the Golden Thread SME Sector Follow-Up Report. His consultancy is called Planning for the Best. Thanks to you all for joining us today to talk about the Golden Thread. Let's first concentrate on the big picture that the Golden Thread gave us on the scale of project management in the UK. It measured for the first time ever its contribution to the economy, sizing it at a massive £156.5 billion. Just to put that into perspective, that's more than construction or financial services. It also estimated that there are around 2.13 million project management workers in the UK David, Andrew and Tony, I'd like to ask each of you to share what struck you the most about the findings of the research. David, do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, thanks, Emma. I think we're just over a year from the original research. It's probably a good time to reflect on its impact and and some of the things we've learned since then. I'd say for me, there's four big um, things that struck me as really interesting. The first is just what a big set of numbers it produced. And I think we were all quite surprised about that. Not, not only in the overall numbers, but actually some of the sectoral findings we 've got, um, the second one I think is really um, how well received it was. Uh, I think there was an the expectation that some people would challenge the figures or particular details, but I think there was a kind of understanding that the methodology was sound. We were doing something that as i 'm sure Andrew will talk about in a minute, was really difficult to get right, so there was a sense which we didn 't know whether this would work or not but you know, there's been, it's literally been taken up as a, as a real benchmark for the future. Third thing I'd say is actually is remembering it was a range of estimates for the benchmarking. So they're not exact numbers. We did use exact numbers to try and, you know, give a sort of sense of, of scale. But, you know, within that, there was an element of which we're, we're still trying to scope out the detail of, of those things. So I think that's worthwhile remembering. And I suppose the final, um, the, the final point really is, is um, the extent to which it kind of gave us little nuggets of interest like the fact that the South seems to have a, a disproportionate amount of project management happening or, for example, the size of the charitable sector uh, in terms of project management. I think it's over 6.6 billion. Those were the things that kind of struck me as interesting.
0: I think the, the, you're quite right to point out the... The hugely impressive numbers. Um, I know they're only estimates, but when you compare the one hundred fifty-six point five billion pounds that was that was given to project management, you compare that to construction at one hundred thirteen billion or financial services at one hundred fifteen billion. I mean, that really is hugely impressive. Andrew, what what grabbed you about the research?
2: Well, I feel sorry for Tony because. David's already taken a couple of the points I was going to make. I think that the, the two things that, that really struck me were the ability for a robust process of collecting the data. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Emma, that these are estimates. But as the report says, you know, we were very, very concerned that we didn't over-exaggerate the size and scale it and significance of, of project management. So we always erred on not just conservative numbers, so they could, you know, the, the numbers that you've just been quoting could be bigger, but also the fact that we actually can demonstrate how we got to those numbers. And so there are two things that come from that. One is the the level of confidence. David mentioned that by saying that, you know, we haven't had very many, well, we haven't had any challenges to the best of my knowledge about the approach that we all took. But secondly, the ability to carry that sort of exercise out in the future. You know, we wanted, I think, it, I think it was very important that we were effectively as open source as we could be. I mean, anybody could do what we've done. And I actually would really, really encourage the fact that we've set something out that, as David said, is a, is a benchmark. Well, it's only a benchmark if it's continued with and that if others do their own thing against it. So I'm really, really pleased. I mean, extremely pleased that we've come up with the start, the, the numbers that we have. It really wasn't that much of a surprise because I think that the more we dug into it and, and for those of us that were involved in it, it, it really was like peeling the layers off an onion. You know, every time we thought that we'd identified where the limits of project management were, somebody would go, yeah, but what about this sector? And what about that type of activity? And, and you know, if we could find it, we did. And so, yeah, I'm I'm very, very impressed and I'm hoping actually internationally that this will be picked up on I haven't heard of anybody that's done so yet but I really would love to get other countries to to take on a similar exercise as what we've done and and see what numbers they come up with.
0: I think something you touched on just then around the limits of project management because I know project the, the job title project manager can mean so many different things and people talk about accidental project managers or people with job titles that In fact, they are doing project management and they are using project management techniques, but they don't have that as a job title. Was that something that was problematic for you or an interesting area to explore?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. I think interesting and problem are sort of head and tail of the same coin. The challenge was to have something where you didn't simply say, well, we think because we're some sort of high and mighty authority, that we think that somebody with this title is doing project management. That's quite arrogant. Again, we were conservative and amongst the, the you know quite a large team of people that were involved in this, we were throwing around activity types and job titles, and it was only really when you could genuinely – and this is, by the way, where the, um, the interviews that were part of it with the big organisations, because they indicated to, to P, the PwC team just how many people they were employing that were doing project management type activities. And there was absolutely no clue from the job title of the person doing that project management job that they were doing project management because they were doing things like coordination or you know, assessment or, or or evaluation or things like this, but actually listening to the, the conversations that we had, it became really quite clear. And again, this reiterates the point about it being a golden thread that actually the, the, the skill sets and competencies that define project management are being used by an awful lot of people who don't have that title in their um, job role.
0: Tony, that links uh, to your area of expertise rather well because you, I, I know you work with SMEs, so small to medium sized um, enterprises. And you also, am I writing thinking you're based in West London? So
3: That's right, Emma.
0: The Heathrow Corridor. So you kind of tick both boxes for us. But I imagine um, within SMEs that there are probably very few people with the title project manager, but actually many people taking on assuming that role um, is that correct and 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 what struck you about the research that you've been reading
3: so so thanks i mean yes i appreciate andrew's comment about this being a hard act to follow on from from david and andrew and their insight but for me i spent 30 years in financial services and there are more project managers there than sometimes you know what to do with um, <laughs> so so to andrew 's point, you know if you are a project manager in in a banking organization and that is what you do, there are very few hidden roles in there, but it was interesting when when David and Daniel presented this at the London committee meeting last September to hear that. There is such a diverse range of roles and they're not just you know they don't have operations in them they may say you know it's they're the operations controller or they are the event coordinator or you know these are the sorts of titles you have so it was interesting to say oh actually yeah they they are projects if i'm doing a marketing campaign i'm probably running a project because i've thought through what's the business case with this what are the objectives what are the requirements. And what do we need to do to deliver the the best benefits for for our organization? So you're running these projects and you've got a schedule and you've got all of these activities that are project related. So I must say that with the the methodology that Andrew talked about, I think it was a very good exercise to draw out some of those roles that people wouldn't think about as, as typical project management roles. So that was the first piece. And then the second piece for me was just the fact that it's it's industry, infrastructure, construction, financial services. You know, there are, there are big organisations that have lots of project management, but there are very few outside of those organisations that engage with project management activities. So the smaller businesses, and when I go and talk to them, you know, we might have a, a chief operating officer and they are effectively running weekly scrums. Now, they're not using a full-blown, agile, scrum master type of approach, but they are running agile projects. They're meeting with their team every week. They're finding out what's going on and and they're running it as a project and they're doing the financials and they're doing other activities as well. But key part of that is making sure their team are delivering what's needed. So there is that aspect of it. And sometimes, you know, you'll go and meet with an organization where there's sort of 10 to 15 people. You can think of freight forwarders out at Heathrow and the person running the company is also managing all of their projects and they have got good project management skills even if they've not been formally trained.
0: So really what you're all saying is that project management does go to the very heart of businesses of all sizes I mean that leads me on to the next point of debate really is that do you think project management is given adequate recognition and respect for its contribution is it taken seriously enough by organisations and by people outside of the Profession, David.
1: I'll take those two different questions. I'll take the adequate recognition point first. I suppose I come from a background of other professions, and therefore I think I've got perspective about where the project profession is on its journey, which is still relatively new. And therefore, I think most all professionals think they are being undervalued. <laughs> by definition, by definition, everybody hates hates television programmes about the professions, so I think it's it, they're trite, et cetera. But, I mean, the reality is I think we have to be realistic as a profession still in the early stages and the foothills of development. But the gist of why we did this report was to start that exercise, that sort of map-making exercise of at least trying to identify where the parameters of the profession were and its contribution and start slowly to, in a sense, educate and uh, engage with those outside the profession who are often incredibly influential in commissioning and promoting projects, and often are not touched by the understanding of how you deliver a, a project well. So adequate recognition is a long journey, and it's you know links to some of the work APMs done about creating a chartered profession, which again helps create that route map and that perception of professionalism that's so important in terms of making sure that project management as a capability is understood, not just within the profession, but beyond it. It's a journey and we've made good initial footsteps, but we're up against, remember, professions like um, engineering, accountancy, etc., have been well-established for well over a century. So I think, you know, I think people have to be realistic that uh, you can't just do this overnight. And therefore, these are small but important steps.
0: Do you feel it's taken seriously enough within organisations?
1: It probably isn't, but the issue is how you do make sure it is taken seriously, and I think we'll come on to that in the the wider context about productivity. because I think we come back to what the government's been trying to do with the industrial challenge, and I think it's Andy Haldane, the Bank of England, made the point that the productivity puzzle in Britain is, and he'd identified it as being small pockets of world-class activity with a long tail of kind of averageness And I kind of come back to, well, what is project management? It's kind of, it is the glue towards creating a change and developing organisations. If we are replicating what's happening in the UK economy, i.e. small pockets of excellence with a long tail of averageness, that has to attract senior government ministers, that has to attract the C-suite, about the difference between what's done well and what's done badly. That's a big sum, surely, and that's in terms of productivity if we can get to the point where we can really embed project success to a much, much greater consistency, that must have a huge economic impact. So I think the next stage on from the golden thread is the issue about how does the rest of the world understand the benefits of good project management as opposed to have a go project management. That's the bit where the golden thread really has its impact.
0: And you're right, we'll pick up on that later. Um... Andrew and Tony, was there anything you wanted to mention around the recognition for project management at the moment?
2: I think that, first of all, the misconception that can be held that, you know, project management is easy. It's straightforward. It's nothing more than the application of common sense. Um, You know, all of us have... Somehow, an intrinsic ability to manage projects because every day of our lives there are things that are thrown at us, some small, some bigger. And I think that the argument about the formalized profession of project management with a defined body of knowledge and a required set of skills and competencies and approaches, I think that the government and certainly some of the more traditional, as Tony was saying, you know, if you go into financial services or into construction, people are formally registered with their organization as having project management abilities and those individuals and the departments that they sit within are expected to deliver projects you know extremely satisfactorily because it's the core job of what that organization does there are then many many other type of organizations and other types of projects that aren't carried out on a routine basis by expert practitioners and I think that the move that UK government has made illustrates how they just assumed, they being the government and the kind of senior politicians and senior civil servants, just assumed that if we come up with some, you know, whiz-bang policy or something, that you can actually just deliver it um, and it will be absolutely no problem. Well, it actually has long track record of being exactly the opposite. They have been very, very problematic and you've only got to and this isn't contained to just the public sector by any means. I mean, you know, the only difference between the public sector and the private sector in terms of their track record in project management is that the public sector really can't go and hide their failures because of the, you know, the scrutiny that's quite rightly required under the fact that it's taxpayers money that's being spent whereas in the private sector they make just as many mistakes and these will be the mistakes that are made when you've underassumed the challenge that a project presents and you've underappreciated the specific skills that the project manager brings so i think that in combination it's not difficult to see why it is that historically we've had as debbie says you know very much seen as a cinderella profession that's how I see things at the moment. And I do see it's rapidly changing. It's not a, a word that sits comfortably with me, but the, the fact that in the report we mention a couple of places, you know, the projectification of the world. I think that, you know, projects are becoming that much more important and people are investing that much more in ensuring that it isn't just a roll of the dice that leads to a successful project versus an unsuccessful one.
0: Yeah, if so many major projects fail to meet budget and timeframe, is enough being done to rectify this? given that we know how central major projects like infrastructure are to the economy, particularly now, kind of during the pandemic and and post-pandemic, is enough being done to rectify the problems of the past?
2: Well, I mean, the trite answer is you can always do more than you're doing. I mean, the more complicated and, and the more helpful answer is that I think that the investment that's being made into the various aspects of of project management. To a certain extent, I mean, project management is a a technocentric area, i.e. at at its core is a whole series of really quite technical skills and managerial abilities that you need to manage time, to manage budget, to manage specification, to manage risk, to manage stakeholders. These aren't things that you can just wing it on. And, And now increasingly in this digital age, not only have you got lots more software that you can throw at each and every one of the lists that I've just given you, but actually the way that they all interconnect, because this is a case of a bit like a three-dimensional spider's web, you know, that you pull one thread and a lot of things will, will, will move as a result. Um, so to understand all of that, I think is, is really important. I mean, the one thing that I would say, and, and here I declare an interest that I, I'm a, you know, a very big advocate of a certain school of thinking Within project management, and and I would argue that a, a great deal of the focus, and it goes back to something that you were saying earlier, Emma, is the um, or what indeed what David said, which is to get real project management expertise into the boardroom, into the cabinet office, into the senior decision makers, because what you don't want, what you really really don't want, is a badly conceived project being launched into the world because then all you've got is a bad news event that's going to happen at some point it's much better that you have people in the room who tell you sometimes what you don't want to hear which is i'm really sorry but you might wish that you want to see this new policy enacted or development made but i just can't guarantee you that we'll be able to deliver it now if you want to tell the world that we're going to give it a go. And I mean, you've only heard recently, I mean, you know, the, the, the conversation from the Secretary of State for Health was yesterday was talking about a moonshot. I mean, you use that phrase moonshot because it carries with it a could be very risky, might not succeed. And you're already using phrases like that. You're, you're starting to temper the expectation. Whereas if you go the other way and you start overpromising, then people, trust me, they give you no wriggle room. They're going to just say, well, you told me it would be delivered by then and for this amount, and it would do this, that, and the other. It's clearly not going to do that, and we, frankly, are very disappointed. So I think that that emphasis, and it, and it really does moves to the left in the time scale, to the very beginning of the project, so that you make sure, as I say, that you really consider the projects at the very, very outset and you literally stop the bad ones from getting out the door. And then secondly, you move upwards in terms of the decision making so that you start talking to the people who really need to be told what you don't want to be in a situation where somebody simply says, look, I don't care how difficult it is, just make it happen, because that is a very difficult place to be in if you're the person sitting there trying to deliver the undeliverable.
0: Tony, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I
3: have experienced those those challenges where someone says, here is the date and your project has to be delivered by that date and you kind of look at what the sponsor wants and, and you look at the team you have and you look at the resources available to you and you're, you're looking at it and thinking there's no way I am going to get this project to look like that in that timeline and you've got to have that conversation with them and I think traditionally there's been this this view of well I'm the boss so I'm going to tell you what needs to be done by when and then you have to kind of figure out how to make it happen and that does put you in a very difficult situation. For me it's about getting getting those conversations right it takes a lot of experience as well. My sort of view is that you need to have that conversation up front say, yes, you want to do this. To do this means we've got these options that can happen and we can do this with this and this with this timeline. But, you know, be aware these are the risks that we run as well. And I think that it takes a lot of experience to be able to do that. But also it takes a lot of confidence in your own abilities that you, you understand the challenges ahead of you. So for me, I think your project manager needs to be aware of the business challenges and aware of the business vision and objectives and able to say, if this is what you want, this is how our organization can deliver it. And they need to build that trust amongst the more senior staff. And I think we as project managers oftentimes get put in the the engine room to say, well, just make it happen. And that that I think generates part of the conflict is like, well, I said it needs to be done by this date. Why not? And And then you can get yourself trapped in that cycle of trying to trying to get things out the door working long hard hours to make things happen to have then someone say well i didn't think it'd be ready by by this date anyway
1: i think that's a really interesting point because it, it plays to the development of the profession i mean traditionally my, my kind of observation as an outsider to project profession is there's a huge pride and determination in getting stuff done and taking on that challenge But I think as a profession, the maturity profession should be building in those, not just the technical ability to deliver something well, but also the, the professionalism about challenge and being part of the strategic conversation, which hopefully we'll come on to, which is about saying, well, actually, that's not adequate. We don't have enough resources. That time is wrong. And actually, what's the purpose and value of the project in the first place? Because if it can't meet those objectives, then why are we doing it? So that bit about, you know, when you have gateway reviews, et cetera, or or at the outset, just sim- simply saying we haven't got, we can't properly cost this yet because we just don't have all the r- the information. And all pr- professions, as they mature, have that ability of independent thought and challenge and ethical judgment. That's why I think we're project profession is still on a learning curve. That's not to denigrate any individual within it, but it's about the you know learning that muscle of being able to feel that you can challenge and haven't just been given a sort of uh, a dodgy project to try and do your best with you know the heroic manager who who, who rescues rescues you know um you know the t- pulls back some time and and gets it back on track and people take great pride in doing that but we kind of it's building that bigger picture about being part of a strategic mission i guess
0: david i wanted to ask you do project managers need to learn to speak the language of the board. So sometimes it can be choosing to use the right language to have that holistic view of the organisation, that strategic view that might be missing from the project manager's viewpoint.
1: I think it's language, but I would actually say it's culture. It's about feeling that you should, you have a right or have a contribution to, 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 to be part of that strategic conversation. Um, because if we don't, in a sense, have that challenge, we'll just, you know, I think it's it's um, Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and again and ex- expecting a different outcome. And, you know, when project managers see their boards or government doing the, making the same mistakes at the outset, and then coming and saying, right, can you do this? You know, whether it's an IT system failure, whether it's a transformational project. I think that's a bit where the profession building its lessons learned can, can make an individual and a collective kind of role. So I think it's culture rather than language. I, that's the way I would uh, look at it.
0: I think we're really beginning to consider the points of the second half of the podcast, which I'd like to move to now, which is to focus on the future for the profession. My first question is how has project management been repositioned in the context of the post-pandemic landscape? Has COVID-19 changed things?
2: So how has project management been repositioned as as a uh, result of everything that we've been experiencing over the course of 2020? Clearly it has. I mean, clearly I think that there are a few things that, from picking back up on David's point about the maturing of the profession, I think that the move to break all of the experiences that we've had in the past, so co-location, physical presence, the timelines that people typically have worked along have all kind of basically been screwed up on a piece of paper and, and thrown on the floor with with the expectation that suddenly reprioritization is. So we, we're moving for, to a world now where we've moved from the shock of this is something totally unprecedented, which, which would mean it was an acute experience, to now something where it looks more like it's a chronic situation, as in we're starting to hear now very much about the new normal. And I think that the new normal for project management, is to recognise that speed has got faster. So people are now expecting delivery in much shorter timeframes because the nature of the world has meant that the decision-making is very much, as Tony mentioned much earlier when talking about software and the Scrum approach, we're now actually seeing much more of a kind of almost even sometimes a daily update. How are we doing? How's the project doing today compared with yesterday? Whereas previously, it would be taking far too long to get everybody together for kind of update meetings. Now with the ubiquity of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and other video platforms, you can now get much quicker updates. And I think that the turbulence of the world that we're operating in I mean, I obviously work in a university and you can imagine what we've been having to deal with on literally sometimes the difference between a morning and an afternoon. I mean, the world can pivot for us. And so the project managers have got to be capable of operating with far more degrees of ambiguity and working with a lot more recognition of their need to be flexible and adaptable. Now, that goes... Fine for some project management sectors, um, you know. As I say, software, IT, that type of thing—they're very fast-moving areas. But in places like construction, um, you know, these are much more methodical. They're much more sort of straight-lined in that they're linear organized. Um, they're not dynamically rearranged um, as much as I think that things are going to to be from now into the future. So. That actually, to take your point, Emma, about the challenges, I think it's going to require an enormous number of new skills and new approaches. And you can see this from people that are practicing project management that are actually having to relearn how to do project management in a remote work or remote or distant working way. So I think it's always difficult to predict the future when you're in the middle of a crisis, but I would put a fairly high degree of confidence that we will not revert back to the way that we were doing projects. And project management pre the pandemic in the post pandemic era. I think that this is going to be a real step change in the approaches that we take in many different ways. I mean, you know, from the technical to the strategic.
0: David, what's your take?
2: I'm
1: going to be a bit pompous and say, "Caught Chuan and lie" in terms of when he was asked about what he thought about the impact of the French Revolution. He says it's too too early to tell, um, although I think he was actually misquoted. He was actually talking about the, the student riots in France in 1968, but people didn't realise that. Um, but it is a point, I think, we're in the middle of COVID-19. It's really difficult to learn the lessons because I suspect the successes and the failures are, are, aren't are really yet apparent. We're still, in a sense, we're still doing a test and learn on it all. And probably it won't be for another 18 months. We see actually just how much of an impact it's had. But it will have an impact in terms of how you do things. And it's maybe from a project management perspective, it, it's getting away from the idea there is, there is waterfall projects in one area and agile in the other. The reality is that there's a mix, and people use, need to use a mix of techniques depending on the circumstance. The other thing I think is we've been doing a piece of work falling on from the golden thread called projecting the future, looking at you know what sort of what the environment is for project management and indeed the wider economy in terms of the changing worlds, whether it's automation, whether it's climate change, whether it's demographics, and actually COVID nineteen fits like a glove over what we were looking at you know, the world's becoming much more of a VUCA world so you know vulnerable uncertain complex ambiguity all that's going to increase so that the idea that you can just do a nice straightforward project without external impacts unless it's a really small project is just increasingly unlikely so COVID-19 is a really good case study and if if project management is about managing change and being being receptive to delivering change and using different skill sets, broadening away from just technical skills, using soft skills, leadership skills, etc. I mean, ideally, we, we would see project management as being one of the ultimate adaptive professions, being there at the heart of change. So I'm quite optimistic that we will see some really good examples, whether it's the Nightingale Hospitals, whether it's It was was within government that the HMRC pivot to be able to pay out the job retention scheme in kind of under four weeks, just unheard of. And, you know, using things like universal credit as a makeshift payments mechanism, extraordinary. And in the private sector, things like Formula One ventilator schemes, just a whole slew of really interesting innovations, some of which will fail. But coming out of that will be some, I think, probably a real advance in how people understand and, and work in collaborative, just a completely different forms of collaborative work. I mean, project management's always been naturally collaborative anyway, because you're forming a, a, every time you're forming a, a new team of special specialists etc and one of the great skill sets for a project manager is to, is to gel that diverse team together so in a sense hopefully the rest of the world is just catching up with some of the skill sets and developments with, that project management's been dealing with anyway.
0: Thank you I mean I guess it's it's been a great chance for experimentation so I mean when I spoke to Joanna Rowland at HMRC she said it was the first time they properly used Agile in, it, in, it, in its kind of purest form and that it was a great chance to try it out, and it's something that was proven to work and that they'll hopefully be sticking with. But I can imagine that was the situation for many uh, organisations during this time. Tony, what, what's what's your uh, feelings around project management and, and how that's been repositioned in the kind of post-pandemic? Well, we're not in post-pandemic landscape yet,
3: during. We're in the... We're in the transition, aren't we, out of the pandemic into something different? And my take on this is around the productivity problem that was touched on earlier and the what I call the tricolons, the government like to trot out to say, you know, we've got to build better, level up, all of these sort of slogans come out. And what does that mean in reality? And, and the Bs, the business, energy and industrial strategy department have generated or launched this peer-to-peer networking initiative. And- I've seen a couple of the tenders for that, and they're they're basically saying, looks like we need some project management skills because they've talked about change management, they've talked about project management skills, but they having to use the word project management in there. And I think what we will see over the next 12 months is a lot of opportunity for people with project management backgrounds like myself who work with, you know, smaller businesses to do more work in those areas to say, this is how you run your projects. This, these are the things you need to do in order to make your business more productive. These are the tools and techniques. And it might not be a project that you're running, but it may be some general management techniques you can use that are going to improve your operational efficiencies. And Those will reduce costs, and then you'll have you know a better bottom line because your, your costs have been reduced, or you might have better procurement processes which are driven by project management principles, such that when you go and bid for work, and I was talking to someone yesterday who said that Durham Council have 450 million worth of procurement available each year. I know Heathrow has about 1.2 billion of procurement in West London. You know, so there's lots of opportunities for these small businesses to go to places like that and say, we can deliver this piece of work for you. And the key thing is learning about the benefits and the outcomes to say you'll get these benefits and these outcomes from us as part of this project, and then going back and saying, and this is how we will manage the project as well. These are the steps we'll need to take. This is how we're going to communicate with you. If you've got all of those skills as a small business, you are much more likely to win those bigger procurement contracts, which are there to be had. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for companies to learn from project management and use those skills grow their revenue numbers and and decrease their costs
0: david i had two questions for you actually um does the golden thread provide a useful context for thinking about what project management role needs to be in the new economy and can it be a driver of increased productivity both i guess in economic and social terms
1: uh, the answer to, the, to that is probably yes and yes, but I do think there's something about it's not going to be inevitable that project management will grow and prosper. What the golden thread does is it provides the platform for the profession to really show its its worth. But it, it simply expecting people to understand the great virtues of good project management and simply just come and, and do it just won't happen. I think we have to make the case, uh, whether it's to the boardroom, whether it's to the um, public ministers, to, whether it's in, in charities or voluntary sector, we do have to make the case. And I think um, one one thing we need to look at is maybe being better at explaining the value and benefits of projects rather than just simply the sort of time and cost element of it so and I think that's something that is very much starting to change we need to look at you know a project that's about building a road should it be about what mobility benefits we're trying to create rather than simply just building a road so it's it's kind of repurposing the thinking behind it and being seen to be part of the purpose of an organization and and demonstrating its value so the the productivity bit that's very much an economic thing, but, you know, it can also be social value. You know, think about how much a project is actually doing in terms of creating through charities and voluntary sectors and just in everyday life. The value of a project, if it can demonstrate the benefit of change, uh, not just the detriment. So, so that's kind of a, the, the new economy bit. And, and some of that's about understanding how project management can help grow, the, the bits need to grow and not simply just regenerate bits which may necessarily die. Um, And we don't yet know kind of what what the new economy will look like, but it's identifying things like, you know, things like we look back on uh, this in 10 years' time and we regard COVID-19 as simply accelerating the change that was happening in terms of automation, in terms of machine learning, in terms of using data better. And things like climate change arguably are a much, much bigger threat, but maybe we can learn the lessons of being quicker and maybe we can try to learn how we can, we can kind of address climate change in, in a much more agile and, and adaptive way than we have hitherto.
0: Sure, that's great. Um, is there a, a bit about joining the dots better between project success and improved organisational performance? So really drawing out the benefits of the projects and, and what that brings to the overall performance of an organisation?
1: Andrew's more of an expert in this, having kind of, you know, watched this over a period of 25 to 30 years and understands kind of where we need to go in that. But it is about, I think, some of it's about communicating, you know, if we can prove the value of the profession, we need to communicate that better to the people who are commissioning or initiating projects. So the government has something like um, £450 billion worth of, of projects in its portfolio. That's a big value at stake if you get it wrong. So, so I mean, just one one little example of that. that you know, the the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, which effectively is the project management arm of the government. I mean, they've done two or three things, which I think are a really interesting case study that apply to the to the rest of the economy. One, they've started to recognise that the project profession exists within government and give it greater status and impact and training. Secondly, they're starting to develop the kind of that leadership cohort that can move from department to department to join up the dots instead of just doing things in silos. And the third thing, and it's the most recent thing, which we picked up from a recent um, select committee report on major projects, that ministers and s- senior civil servants are actually doing training in project management to me that's a big breakthrough Uh, jesse norman who's the minister in the cabinet office has already kind of submitted himself to do training himself and i think that's a recognition that you know ministers come in with very little idea about how you kick something off uh, successfully so if they can kind of learn the basic lessons of of what to do and not to do that's
2: a big big success so I, i think that's the sort of key points i would make
0: andrew is there anything you'd like to add
2: the only thing that I would say that, that because we've kind of steered it towards um, a, a very much a public sector thinking, you know, as David's has just explained, for those people who are interested in sort of project management books, there's a book by um, Mark Morgan and Bray Levitt um, out of the US called um, "Executing Your Strategy," and it basically says that. And this is where I think that I do very much think that the C-suite needs to have a chief projects officer. If you're going to have chief technology and you know somebody in charge of people or finance or whatever, then I think if the board is is the organization that is going to direct strategy or come up with policy if you're a cabinet in in the UK, for example. But wherever it is that you're coming up with the kind of big the, the most important fundamental decisions and actions that you're going to implicate for your organization, then to have somebody at that table who sits there with the skill set competence confidence and experience and who turns around and says as part of the decision making so they're not an observer they're not somebody who is brought in for a comment they're actually part of the decision making body and they actually turn around and say I think we can do this but I don't think we can do it in the way that you've decided Um, we need to think about these issues when we get to that level then I really do think that we will have to use the phrase that you used Emma to join the dots better so that we make sure that not only do we deliver projects better but that those projects that are delivered better directly are sort of hardwired into improving organizational performance whereas at the moment I think there is a lot of Anticipation that decisions made at board level will somehow naturally turn into successes when they're enacted, and you know you 've only got to look at things like the the amount of i mean I, I still find it quite staggering as to the the amount of money that is estimated that will that mergers and acquisitions will always save you know they get massive amounts of excitement in the stock market when you get to big organizations that merge and they always say about how much rationalization and improvement to, Productivity is going to take place. And then, you know, when you go back in afterwards and investigate it, those numbers that are projected as being huge savings and that get everybody very excited, they typically never manifest in anything like the same levels because it's all the kind of friction, it's all the problems that are to do with executing projects that get in the way and end up with people being a little bit disappointed or frustrated. So, I, to, to go to what David said, I think that that leadership, that directoral, um, ability to understand what it is that you're asking for so that you don't naively wish for something that is totally unachievable i think that that is that's a sign to my mind at least of a maturing and more sensible approach to kind of key decision making
0: so yeah you know, not to put you on the spot or anything but how far off do you think we are in having chief project officers as being commonplace on executive boards
2: i mean they're already i mean in certain sectors i mean oil and gas have had Chief Project Officers, Aerospace, places like Rolls Royce, they would, they, you know, whether they call them Chief Engineer or whatever. The fact is that these are the people that are delivering on the stuff. I think that certainly in some sectors it's already job done. In other sectors, I think that the evidence is still to be generated as to well, what's the problem that having a chief? We've never had a chief project officer in the past. Why the devil do we need one now? And I think that it's that investigating you know, whatever you've done in the past might have been satisfactory. But to go to the point that we've been talking about, if you actually get better decision making from a project perspective done very early on, you will increase your organisation's chance of being more successful in the future. And, you know, I think that that, as long as you understand the type of skills that are needed in that sector, I mean, I, I remember reading, somewhat of a diversion, but I remember NASA back in the 70s, I think it was, they had... A policy of if the project is to develop a new rocket engine then they would put you know somebody who's got rocket engineering experience because they felt that subject matter expertise was absolutely critical but but they they found in the end that actually people with far more generalist project management skills would actually deliver better projects because you don't want somebody who just focuses on a niche area you want somebody who's always got the ability to climb into that kind of managerial helicopter, fly above the project and, and, you know, to mix my metaphors terribly, but, you know, to actually see from that helicopter where the forest fires are starting to spring up and, and put them out very quickly rather than just concentrate all their, their focus on one area because that's the one that they feel most comfortable with. And I think that what David has just said about the, the government getting into that space of recognising that you can come up with the best policy in the world. But how the hell are you going to deliver it? And unless you've got an ability to understand that the software that you're wishing for has never existed, has never even come close to be made to work by anybody else. And you're asking for it not only to do all of those things, but to do it for a week on Thursday. You know, it's that kind of sort of reality check. That, that
3: people need to be told about. So I was going to chip in, chip in there as well. Say so I, I like Andrew's expression of the helicopter, where you've got that vision, because oftentimes what we find is, is the rabbit hole of despair, where suddenly we've gone down the rabbit hole because we think there's a great solution there, and, and like Alice in Wonderland, we find ourselves at the bottom with nowhere to go and end up in a very strange land. In terms of mergers and acquisitions, what I see locally is organisations where they absorb bits and pieces of organizations um housing associations or charitable sector or you know sort of smaller businesses end up coming together they'll then sit down and say oh we need a project to rationalize all of our systems and and somebody will say well let's start with the easy stuff first and nobody's really sure what the easy stuff looks like but you can spend an awful lot of time on what we call this low-hanging fruit just to find that it's been nailed to the tree and and this is where you need good project managers you can sit at the board level and go well, it's very interesting you think that is an easy thing to achieve, but unless you sit down and take your four customer databases and come up with a strategy for integrating that and having a common data model for all of them, there's no point in doing any of this other stuff because you're, you're not going to have a common data model to work from. I think what happens is that the smaller organizations go, oh, well, it'll be fine. We'll work by. and and we'll make it happen and and they don't have those project management skills to go yeah we're we're down the rabbit hole here we need to get the helicopter out and have a look above us and see well where do we focus
0: i wanted to ask um actually it ties in with that that word projectification um i've interviewed people at channel four sonia sharma is the um leads the pmo there and it's the first time they've they've really had an enterprise ripe PMO because there's a recognition that work is becoming more and more about projects. And I know that the media and creative sector is identified in one of the follow-up reports as being a place ripe for project management to spread. And um what's your feeling around? Do you feel as though this is the kind of very nature of work in the future, increasingly around projects, teams, products, services? And that project management will inevitably become more central to the organisation.
1: Yes, I do. I mean, I think one of the things we've done is actually survey the profession about their optimism for the future. And obviously, this was pre-COVID-19. But I think it holds true that there is a clear, both anecdotal and factual evidence that organisations are using projects, increasingly as a means of change and that's and and if you just if you look at the whole world of VUCA transformation projects is probably you know almost dwarfing kind of infrastructure projects in that sense or even infrastructure projects themselves are you know subject to transformation so that when you initiate a you know, a large real project, the idea that the, the end product will be in the same context as it was when it was set is just ludicrous. I mean, the, the National Infra- Infrastructure Commission has to set out a view of forward 25 to 30 years, but really they're only taking a stab beyond five years about what that will mean because the the shelf life of things with, with technology means that things keep reinventing. Trying to envisage what the energy market will look like in three years' time never in twenty years' time, we've seen a complete change around in the economics of, of energy. So, I, th- I think um, I think it's very much about um, identifying these these sorts of things.
3: For me, the creative industry is one where people have a view that we don't need to be project managed there's this distinct thing of we're creatives you know we're free spirits we get on and and do what we need to do and to an extent that is true but I think if you have a project that needs to be done having somebody who's got project skills who can organize it and make it happen is is the key part of that and you know having worked with people or sat opposite people listening to them talking about their creative projects and how they're struggling to make deadlines and and they're not really sure about this particular risk and they forgot that they needed lights for this and that you know they they haven't got this particular particular thing where they need it. It's like when well, you're talking about project challenges all the time, and I think you could de-stress some of the creative process, as they call it, by having a project approach to some of those activities saying, look, you know, here's our list. This is what we need to do. Here are the risks. These are the issues we need to talk about, but talk about it in a way that is suitable for, for that particular industry, be it a, a TV production, a movie broadcast, right? You know, you, you've gone through a project process of saying, we need to talk to you. This will be the topic. We're going to talk on these times. You know, it's all lined up <laughs> like a project.
0: Uh, absolutely. My final question then for all of you would be, how do we measure project success in the much messier and less predictable world that we now find ourselves in?
3: I think we're moving more towards outcome driven results. And we're talking about benefits and measuring success based on benefits. And yes, there is an economic aspect of that, of like the budget. And did we spend as much as we said or not? Because sometimes we don't. But you need to measure the benefit that you achieve for the project against the cost of the project and look and say we have achieved this benefit for us and this is how we went about doing it it's got it's got to be more outcome-based and focusing on the big picture. And we talked earlier about economic and social value. And in West London, the West London Alliance are talking about ways of improving the local businesses such that they do better and they can invest back in the community. And that's what I see as a benefit from the local councils investing in organisations. The outcome is we want better social value from our local businesses because they employ more local people. We get better business rates and we've got fewer calls on our services for Unemployment benefits and other things like that. So it needs to be holistic. It can't just be a, a transactional. We did this. Our return on investment was was twenty five percent. It has to be the social impact as well.
0: And Andrew, how do you think we should measure project success now?
2: I echo everything that Tony's just said. The traditional way that project management has always operated is we produce an output, and Tony's already mentioned outcomes and the impacts and the issue about an output is that you know it's relatively easy to be tested against it does it weigh this much is it painted red etc when it comes to the actual so what difference does that output make to whatever the business case was i'm fairly clear that that is a substantial area for further investigative and research work because we talk about benefits management. I mean, Tony's just used the phrase social value. I'm working on some research at the moment. The term social value, you've got as many definitions of what you mean by the term social value as as you want to come up with because it genuinely is a contested and very fuzzy area. So there's much more work done on the benefits side, so benefit management and, and all of that area, which which I know APM have been heavily involved with for some time. I think that the way to take your question, Emma, um, and connect it to the one about COVID, um, I think that we're really going to be judging project management and the way that projects are organised and delivered against the impacts that they make. I think that people are going to skip all of that stuff and go, yeah, yeah, you know, I just want to know did it work? I don't really know how you've come up with this fancy vaccine, you know, whether you've manipulated DNA or whatever it is. I just want to know can we get it to the public? Can we do it quickly without side effects at relatively low cost? If you're going to be able to measure a project against those kind of things, and obviously, you know, that's, that's a fairly obvious example to choose, but. At the moment, you've got a question against, to go back to something that David was alluding to earlier, which was the kind of speed of changing circumstance. I mean, you know, how are we going to know if Crossrail is going to be a success? I mean, when it's open, that's an output measure. You know, once that Crossrail is open, it will be open, and that's a tick-box exercise. But how we will know whether Crossrail has actually benefited london's prosperity is going to be very very difficult to to know because even when the arguments were previously about providing additional capacity and and modal transfer so that the east west access into london was going to be eased in terms of central line and and the, the the main roads now you're in a world where people are going to be going well i won't i'm not necessarily travel by underground anyway because i'm quite happy to work from home so you know we've got a certain amount of um, of commitment to projects um and those big infrastructure ones, whether we need them or not i mean you know who who's to say whether the, the fact that we built the Nightingale hospitals in two sweet time, which was an unbelievable success. I mean, hats off to the UK construction industry and the people that were involved in the background to do all of the necessary changes that were needed to enable, you know, conference centres and similar to be turned into these hugely impressive treatment centres and hospitals. The fact that we didn't need them, I mean, is that a bad thing? does that mean that those projects should be considered as failures because we've wasted our money, but we haven't because we don't know. We're in a contingent world where you actually turn around and say, I'm really glad that we've got the capacity of that thing, even if we're not actually using it. And so I think that to circle back on what I said earlier, I think that that measuring the, the specific impact of projects on the community or the stakeholders that the project was intended to have said impact on is going to be something where project managers turn around at the moment I would argue and and I I hope to provoke some comment from your audience here but a lot of project managers would shrug and go well I don't know whether it's going to impact on the organizations and and stakeholders because by that stage I'll have been long gone on to the next project so I'm not left holding that particular baby. Mm.
0: David what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I'd, I'd make three very quick points, which echo what Andrew and Tony just said. So I think it's about lessons learned. We need to get much better as a profession about making sure we get it, get it right more often and more regularly and making sure our stakeholders are kind of involved in it the point about lens so you know time cost yes they're really important but you know the olympics was was overspent but it was a great success you know what is the lens you're looking at it Uh, was the eiffel tower uh, was was the millennium dome worthy it depends what what is the value what's the purpose of the of the project and i think in a world when things are more unstable and uncertain how you You know, just hold on to that central purpose through a transformation and don't get, you know, don't get buffeted into kind of down a rabbit hole. And I think the final point is just about making sure the profession makes its case for having a strategic value, because that's the productivity benefit. Where project management is, is going to be done well, it can really can demonstrate um, its value to an organisation and to society in general. But where it's done badly, and this is in a sense what where the danger is for the profession, if there's still too many amateur project managers or too many people commissioning projects that don't know what they're doing and the profession takes the hit, even though it heroically gets it back on the rails, that to me is still... In a sense, the profession is failing to make its impact. So I would say lessons learned, make sure we understand the lens in which we're judging the, the value of a project and make sure we make our effort to become as strategic a profession as possible.
0: Thanks, David. That's that's great and a, and a great way to end our conversation today. Thank you to David, Andrew and Tony for contributing to today's great conversation. Just to mention that the Golden Thread report and the two follow-up reports can be found on the APM website, apm.org.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk.